Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Leading Simple. I am your host, Rusty George. So great to have you on the podcast with us. This is episode 176. I want to have a conversation with somebody you may not have heard of, but you will not soon forget. Her name is Dr. Michelle Reyes, and she is an incredible individual, a force of nature, if you will. She's a second-generation Indian-American author, speaker, and activist. Uh, she's the vice president of the Asian-American Christian Collaborative and the co-executive director at PAX. Uh, she and her husband, Aaron, co-planted Hope Community Church, a minority-led multicultural church in East Austin, Texas. I think you're going to love this conversation because we get into issues about just how do we bridge the gap with people that look different than us, think different than us, and ways that we can create bridges to cultural divides. Hey, speaking of cultural divides, there's a big divide between a lot of us and kids that are living in poverty around the world. And today we are working with Compassion International to help bridge that gap for them. Compassion International has helped nearly 2 million kids in sponsorship, and they've partnered with over 80,000 international churches. Over 65 years of serving, they have helped kids meet needs medically, spiritually, physically, and educationally. And when you sponsor a kid through Compassion, it costs you about 40 bucks a month, and it changes their life forever. I'm encouraging you to sit down with your family today and decide to sponsor a child. Go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child today. Over COVID, so many kids got lost in the shuffle and in the backlog and unable to be sponsored. We are trying to bridge that gap. Some of you have already sponsored a child. I know we have, and then we decided to sponsor more. Our church at Real Life, we have sponsored thousands of kids through Compassion, and I'd love for you to join us in this and just go to Compassion.com slash Rusty. If you're ever wondering what happens to those kids, what's the success rate? How does this change them? Uh, Do they actually read my letters? Does it make a difference in their life? Um, if, If you've ever wondered that, we got a bonus episode for you where we talk to one of these individuals who grew up in the Philippines and was blessed through Compassion And the sponsorship changed your life forever. You got to check that out. It's in the show notes and it's also wherever you're getting your podcast from uh, the bonus episode of this podcast just back in October. Well, Dr. Michelle Reyes is our guest today. It's going to be a great conversation. Take some notes. Here we go. Well, Dr. Michelle Reyes, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on Leading Simple. Uh, I want to start off by letting our audience get to know you a little bit. So for our listeners who may not have heard of you or read your your materials, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, my full name is Michelle Ami Reyes, uh, and I made sure to include my full name on my book cover and elsewhere just because my middle name, Ami, uh, is is my Indian name. And so... Uh, I, I am bicultural Indian American. I was born in South Carolina, uh, grew up in Minnesota, and am now transplanted to Austin, Texas. Uh, my mother is ethnically 100% Indian, although she was born and raised uh, in an Indian village in Uganda, Africa. Wow. Uh, my my dad is of of European descent, British and German heritage. 
and so I grew up, you know, hearing Swahili, Gujarati, Hindi, as well as English, of course, spoken in our home. And uh, from a very young age, just developed a love of languages and, and, and world cultures. Uh, my husband, Aaron, is Mexican-American. And uh, we, we met at Wheaton College. It's a, it's a school outside of uh, Chicago. Got married. He went on to get his MDiv at TEDS, and I did my doctoral work at the University of Illinois at Chicago in downtown. Um, I have a PhD in 18th century German literature. <laughs> and so I began my career in the academy teaching folklore. Um, my, my first love, I, I will say, is, is uh, the, the reformers. And, and I started off uh, working with the text of Martin Luther uh, and, and, and whatnot, but um, ended up teaching folklore uh, and specifically narrative justice. And the whole idea behind narrative justice within folklore is that, uh, the, I should say, the question is for the poorest people in the land, people who have no relational or financial capital, if something horrible happens to them, if some horrible injustice uh, happens to them, how do they how do they receive justice in their life? Uh, and 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 when it comes to folklore, the the answer is uh, learning to share your own story and uh, raise your voice to your community uh, to to uh, engender compassion and, and aid from your from your neighbors and whatnot. And so. Um, I taught German and literature courses up in Chicago, down here in Austin. Uh, I taught at Moody Bible Institute as, as, as well. Uh, we even lived in Ger uh, Berlin, Germany for a while. Uh, and on top of that, my husband and I were church planters in Austin, Texas. We lead a minority-led multicultural church called Hope Community Church uh, in East Austin, which is a disadvantaged, low-income, black and brown community. Um, I still have one foot in the academy uh, as part of the uh, core faculty for a local seminary called Vita House, where my husband serves as the academic dean. Uh, but the fun thing is that now within vocational ministry here in East Austin, I get to bring that concept of narrative justice uh, to, to our neighborhood. And, and so for, for the immigrants in our midst, uh, for, for those experiencing homelessness, for those who have been falsely incarcerated, um, you know, we do a lot of work with our church to elevating their stories mm. and to helping people hear what they've experienced uh, to really rally Austin and East Austin in particular to compassion uh, and to justice initiatives on the ground. And so um, it's all kind of it's a little bit of a checkered professional career, but but God has has uh, has kind of woven it all together. <laughs> I think I can confidently say you're the first person on the podcast with a degree in 18th century German literature. <laughs> yep, I can confidently say that. And you're the first person I ever met with that degree. That is that is amazing. How did you decide, yep, that's what I want to study? <laughs> well, I always joke about uh, having a degree in, in, in German literature. I, I don't know if you've seen Groundhog Day, you know, where, where Bill Murray, uh, you know, is, is getting to know this this woman and she's, she has a degree in a... 18th century French poetry, and he just laughs out loud. He's like, "What a waste of time!" And then, and then he's he catches himself. He's like, "Oh, how noble! How, how right. beautiful!" I remember that scene. I totally <laughs> you know? remember that. Hilarious. I, I feel like I have that interaction with people a lot. Um, but uh, no, you know, even so, I'll say, even from a young age, I grew up reading Indian folklore. Um, I've just I've loved folklore from a from an early age, and and somehow. Um, 
like in ninth grade, I had to take a, choose a language. You know, you had to choose German, French, or Spanish in high school. Uh, I chose German because my dad has, uh, you know, German heritage, hmm. and somehow that combination of of my love for folklore and and German, it just all came together. Uh, it, you know, it's funny that you say I'm the first person that has been on your podcast um, with a degree in 18th century German literature. It's not very common for Indians to have degrees in 18th century German literature. Well, so, yeah, uh, I didn't even throw that outlier in there, but you're exactly you know, right. So, uh, which, which is, I think, a beautiful testament to the fact that not all Indians are the same. We're, all, we're you know, we have our different passions and, and uh, uniqueness and not all Indians or Asians are good at math. For example, I was terrible at physics in high school, uh, but great in literature. So, Okay. Wow. All right. So th this is just, uh, I don't know. I find this fascinating. It, when, when people have a background in science, they tend to read the Bible like a scientific book. And they say, well, you see all the steps of the scientific method in Genesis 1. If people have a degree in philosophy, they read the Bible philosophically. Mm -hmm. As a degree or an interest in folklore, not to say the Bible is folklore, I'm, to all of our listeners, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I want to know, when you read the stories, especially of the Old Testament, do you read them differently? Do you see them as, this is a culture trying to, because it was all oral translation back then, um, trying to assert itself, trying to explain itself. What are the parallels you see there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in, in that vein of having a literature degree, I'm, I'm passionate about reading the Bible as literature. Yeah. And I don't mean that in the sense of the Bible being fictitious, but right. uh, in the sense that the Bible has different genres yes. uh, and, and understanding, okay, what is narrative? What is apocalyptic? What is... Um, uh, you know, a letter, you know, epistolary, if you will, uh, and, and, and so on, and differentiating, okay, what do we read uh, literally? <laughs> and what do we read yes. literarily? What is allegorical in the text? Uh, and, and, and so on. Uh, so that's very important to me, understanding, you know, reading a passage in context. I remember even in grad school, you know, when we'd have discussions and analysis of, of different books, uh, if somebody put out an interpretation that, that seemed a little off, you know, I had a professor who would like raise the book up in class and be like, but where is that in the text? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you had to prove it's in the text and also that it makes sense within the larger story at hand. And the same is true for the Bible, you know, Amen. Um, yeah. which is why we can't be reading Bible verses out of context when we when we read something about uh, race or culture in one part of the uh, part of the Bible, we need to use the rest of the Bible to be the interpretive key, um, exactly. among many many other things: symbolism, metaphors, character development. It's all there, uh, and and it it should be part of our toolhouse for how we interpret uh, scripture. I love that, and I, that's such a, a key distinction because. The Bible's, you know, 66 books from 40 different authors over 1600 years. And so you have different styles of literature that come into play, which have a huge impact. You know, when you're reading apocalyptic or poetic or historical, um, makes a big difference. So I, I love that. But that's not why we're on the podcast. I had no idea about folklore <laughs> and German literature. Um, so do you speak fluent German? 
I do. I used to teach some of my literature courses uh, in German. I, I also happen to know Yiddish and Hebrew uh, as, as, as part of my oh grad my school training. <laughs> the amount of things you can say to your children and they have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> that is just such a gift, right? That's fun. <laughs> we, we speak a lot oh, of languages at home. That, that, that's fun. That's, that's so great. Okay, well, I, I want to talk about this book that you've written. Uh, Becoming All Things uh, is such a great, great title, and I'll, I'll get into where that came from here in a moment, but it's kind of the theme of your growing up. Uh, tell us about Becoming All Things as a minority when you were a kid. Yeah, so I was I was always the lone brown-skinned girl in any place that I went, and you, I mean, you have to imagine, Rusty, you know, what it what that has, what that was like, uh, hmm. no matter where, like if you, you know, for, for you or for your, your, your listeners, like imagine no matter where you go, there's, there's no one that looks like you. And you're just yeah. extremely aware of that fact that there is nobody, um, with the same color skin, certainly, but also no one of the same ethnic background. Um, mm. and, and that's a reality that, that, that dominant culture in any country, uh, but including in, 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 uh, in, you know, the United States doesn't have to contend with a, a lot of times, you know, many white people in America live in all white spaces. But for me, that difference, that constant feeling of being other uh, impacted how I engaged with the people around me. And so very early on, I developed this habit of reading the room. Uh, you know, I would enter into a classroom or the cafeteria, even, even church uh, or, or a friend's house. Uh, you name it, and I would, I would take the time to sit back, to observe, to listen, to watch. Uh, I was never quick to to jump in uh, to a conversation or jump into an activity because I, I wanted to get to know who was in the room, what people were doing, how they were speaking, how they were engaging with each other, and then I would tailor my own words and behavior uh, accordingly. Uh, and, and, and granted, I did this as a young girl because I wanted to fit in. Like, I didn't mm. want to be that kid who was ashamed or who stuck out, um, which I think is a common enough feeling that everyone has, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in middle school for different reasons. Right. Um, but I've learned that as an adult, this, this practice of, of becoming all things to all people, as we read in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, which I talk about in my book, it's it's a deeply biblical practice and it, it can be done well and it can be done in a way that both allows ourselves to thrive as cultural beings and, and to honor God. Um, but to go back to your question, if I was to sum up what I've learned along the way in terms of what it means to become all things to all people, it would be to learn how to read a room. That's such great, great insight. I think for many of our listeners, they may have never experienced that to the level in which you experienced it. But for you to take that learning and share that as opposed to um, a condemning approach of, you know, why did I feel this way? It's very helpful for all of us because I think there are moments where it may not be because of our skin tone. It may be because of our beliefs, our faith, our st stage in life or whatever it is. Um, we have to adjust. Uh, we have to flex a little bit and have to become all things. I love that passage from from the Apostle Paul, and I know that that is your goal with this book, is to help people become all things and build conversations with people. So I want to go over some of these conversation starters. You talk a lot about, you know, some of the, the, the worst conversations are, uh, what's your name? What do you do? Um, 
you have some you have five great conversation starters and uh, i'll just let you talk through some of these so give us some things that we could ask that would help build a bridge certainly with somebody who might not look just like us beyond just what do you do for a living yeah that's that's so good well i'll i'll give some qualifiers to each one uh the the first question that i encourage people not to ask is what are you uh, and that's a question I get all the time. And to an extent, I understand, uh, you know, my first name is Michelle. My last name is Reyes. Um, you know, sometimes I think people assume I'm a Latina because of my last name. We're here in Austin, uh, the huge Latino population. Um, but I'm also, you know, sometimes people think I'm, I'm Turkish or Persian, I'm, you know, Middle Eastern, if you will. Uh, I, I, I won't tell you all the things people have guessed about <laughs> what they yeah. thought I was. But it's, it's such an awkward conversation and it doesn't it, it, it can't go anywhere, uh, you know. <laughs> and, and so I, I think in, instead of asking something that would just be a very um, pigeonholed, very awkward question is instead to ask, what is your story? And just yeah. leave it open-ended so people, so I can tell you who I am. Um, and it, it also gives gives people the honor of self-definition uh, as opposed to saying like, you know, walking up to me, for example, being like, are you Turkish? You look Turkish, <laughs> you know, um, just to ask that open-ended question, what is your story? And then hear what the person says. Uh, and similarly to that uh, is, is, is to not ask the question, where are you from? And, you know, I think this is a, a, a question that hits differently within different cultures. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a point of pain for, for, for Asian people like myself, for immigrants, for Latinos. Um, I, you know, I was having a conversation uh, on, on a panel uh, with, with Dr. Issa McCauley from Wheaton College, and it was so interesting because we were talking about this, and he mentioned that as a, as a Black man, there was no stigma in his community growing up about that question. And, and, and it's very common to ask people, hey, where are you from? Because they're wanting to know, are you from the North? Are you from the South, from the West, or, or the East Coast uh, within the United States? Um, but for for Asians, for Latinos, for immigrants, uh, where our home country, like we can still trace our family, like half of our families across the ocean. Hmm. Um, but we were born here <laughs> to be asked that question, where are you from? Uh, and then oftentimes to have that followed up with, no, where are you really from? Right. Gives that feeling of like, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not seen as American. I'm not seen as, as, as an equal uh, citizen. Uh, if, if you will. And I, I, um, I love what the comedian Hassan Minaj says, he, a fellow Indian who's like, you know, I was born here. Uh, so I have the audacity of equality. Like I want to be treated equal. And so that question, where are you from? It creates that feeling that we are not equal. So mm. um, instead, I think a, a, a far more honoring and once again, open-ended question is what are your ethnic roots? Mm, so I good. think those are two questions right off the bat. What is your story? What are your ethnic roots that are very uh, inviting, very welcoming? Uh, you know, we like to talk about ourselves. We like to tell our story. And I think those are ways that set people up uh, to want to share about themselves. 
Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you haven't listened to our bonus episode with Kawani, she tells what it's like to be a sponsored child through compassion and the difference that it makes. Make sure you check that out wherever you get your podcasts through the Leading Simple Podcast bonus episode back in October. And we're asking you to sponsor a child today. Go to Compassion.com slash Rusty, and you get to change the life of somebody forever. Okay, back to our episode. That's really good. Another one would be, what are some of the special celebrations and traditions in your family? I never thought about that one before. Mm. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, I think um, this also gets to the fact that that uh, any any uh, cultural group is not a monolith. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of experiences that I've had when people find out I'm Indian is like, oh, you're Indian? Do you like naan? Or, uh, do you, oh, you're Indian. I love curry. <laughs> you know, fill in the blank. Um, and uh, like with the, with the question about naan, uh, there are so many different people groups um, so many different languages and cuisines within India. There's only one uh, part of India, the, the, the farthest north, northernmost part of India that eats naan. Um, but it's very famous in Indian restaurants here in America. Uh, nice. and, and so, and, and, and in the Western part of India where my mother is from originally from Gujarat, we eat uh, rotis uh, and puris. And in the South, they don't even eat bread. They just, eat rice. <laughs> and so, mm. um, you know, when, and, and I think the same could be true for any, uh, any people group, any culture, we don't all eat the same foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and based on our, where we're located geographically in a country, we celebrate different holidays and traditions. And um, so I think asking that one, it gets to the core of, of, um, important family rhythms and traditions, food and celebrations are so central to who we are as people and families. Uh, but it also invites that nuance of like, okay, I recognize that not all black people are the same, not all Asians, not all Indians are the same. So tell me about your unique foods and your unique celebrations. That's really good. That's really good. I mean, I'm just thinking even here in the States, I mean, the differences between somebody from New York and somebody from Austin, Texas, boy, that's a, and and I got to just go back to this. When you said, when people say, what are you? um, Have you had that question more often in the South than you did in Minnesota? (laughs) You know, I I think so. I I think I've had that question asked more here. Uh I think I was just, just treated as the other up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think people even wanted to ask me. They were, you know, That's I was right. just put in that yeah. other category. That's uh, <laughs> right. We know something's different. We're not going to talk about it, yes. though. That sounds about right. All right. Well, the the book is great, and it's a, a really helpful read. It's not condemning. It's not accusatory. It's just helpful. That's what I love about it. Mm. And a person can walk away from it and say, boy, now I have some talking points of how I can build bridges rather than just feel guilty for how I've burned bridges in the past. So mm. uh, I want to walk through some of your your chapters. I'm not going to go through all of them because people need to buy the book and read it. But, um, you know, you give us some bullet points um, of kind of becoming all things. Let's start with the first one. Develop your cultural identity. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I define cultural identity as stories born from uh, our ethnic heritages and, and, and the the idea behind that is that we are storied people. Uh, we are people of stories. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves is, 
Like, what is my story? Hmm. We all came from somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, and if you're part of the dominant culture, you're you're not just a white American. Uh, you know, you right. you have roots from Germany or England or Sweden or you know, fill in the blank. Uh, and and so to ask yourself, you know, who are my ancestors? Uh, what are the values and traditions of my cultural community? Uh, and then also, how am I similar to? people with whom I share ethnic roots and how am I different? Um, you know, I like to say I am like all Indians. I'm like some Indians and I'm like no other Indian. Because if you lined up 10 Indians, one from India, one from Trinidad and Tobago, one like myself, uh, born in, in, in South Carolina, my mom born and raised in Uganda, Africa, we are all so different. <laughs> mm. um, and so it's it's important with even within your own ethnic group to think through how am I similar to people like myself? How am I different? What makes me uniquely me? How has God made me unique as an individual? Um, we need to be asking these questions and living into the the answers. That's that's so good. Okay, I want to jump to a big one here with some words that we may not all have the same definition for, but you said rethink code switching privileges and rights. Walk us through that one a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And that's a question people ask is like, what is code switching? Uh, Code switching on a a meta level is any sort of uh, change that we make to our words or our actions. Um, And and we all do this in in certain contexts, you know, uh, think about, you know, when you before you married your spouse and you started dating, you, you may have code switched a bit, right? You're, you're putting your best foot forward in terms of uh, speaking a certain way, acting a certain way, because you really want them to like you. Mm. Uh, we do that sometimes in job interviews. You know, we're, we're uh, presenting the best possible image of ourselves so that we get hired. Uh, mm. So code switching in of itself isn't necessarily a, a bad thing, uh, but where it gets complicated for minorities is when uh, we feel like we can't be ourselves, and and we like in America, for example, for brown skin minorities, when we when we tell ourselves, okay, to fit in, I need to act white, and so we code switch by uh, in in public taking on uh, white culture norms in terms of uh, our language, our behavior, our clothing, um, hmm. and 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 so what what I'm arguing and. and in the context of, of scripture and in first Corinthians nine, in terms of becoming all things is this is not just some sort of ploy uh, to continue to force minorities to assimilate and acculturate and to, to, to hide who God has made them to be. That's not it at all. Mm. Um, and this is, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of interpreting scripture with scripture. Mm. Uh, and, and, and when we, when we look from Genesis to Revelation, we see that cultural identities have spiritual significance, that God created us as cultural image bearers, uh, that we retain our cultural identities in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation 7, uh, that, that God intended for a multi-ethnic, multicultural body of people from the very beginning, and, and that living into our multicultural expressions is part of our worship to God. And so, um, so it can't just be First Corinthians nine. Oh, we need to assimilate and, and acculturate. And so, um, what I argue in that chapter—that's chapter four of my book—is is on the one hand, developing our cultural identity, being proud of who we are uh, as cultural beings, mm. but at the same time, 
going back to the reading the room situation, when we are engaging with different peoples, and it could even be people of our own ethnic group, mm -hmm. um, when do we need to, to thoughtfully adapt how we're speaking or how we're interacting with someone for the sake of the gospel? Uh, and, you know, a, a practical example of this is actually when I'm having conversations with people about race, about justice, um, mm. a lot of the very hot topic, controversial topics of the day. And I can tell the person I'm talking with, their heart's in the, in the right place. But man, there's some gaps, <laughs> you know, yeah. or the way they're saying it, it's, it's a bit cringeworthy or I'm like, oh, I, I wouldn't say it that way. Um, right. You know, and, and so I'm thinking through in that moment, I'm praying in that moment, like, God, how can I change how I'm talking uh, and, and explain this in a way to this other person that makes sense to them? Right. To invite them on the journey, to point them closer to Christ, to, to say, hey, you can do this. Mm. Um, let's do this together. Uh, and, 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 and so in those contexts, we, we invite people, it's that pastoral voice that, that says, you know, come to Jesus and I'm going to journey with you. Um, so in those, in those contexts, we can be proud of who we are, but thoughtfully adapt our words and our behavior, uh, for the sake of the gospel. Hmm. Okay. So I want to just drill down on one last chapter. And that is change your perspective on justice. Talk to us about that one. Yeah. You know, I was raised in a conservative Baptist uh, church. And the only understanding that I had of justice was um, retributive justice. You know, this, this is hmm. um, God, God as judge, uh, you know, crime and punishment <laughs> you know if you break the law you're going to be punished uh this is what justice is and it wasn't until college after college actually reading tim keller's book uh, mm -hmm. uh generous justice that i i i began to understand a, a far bigger picture of justice a, a comp more complex picture of justice that includes restorative justice Mm. Um, and we see particularly all throughout scripture, but particularly in the, the life and ministry of Jesus, mm -hmm. that when Jesus enters into the scene of human history and like Mark chapter one, for example, and declares like the kingdom of God is here on the one hand, he's, he's inviting people to confess, repent, you know, believe in him. And at the exact same time, he's healing people, uh, you know, healing the, the, the lame, the blind, the sick. He's restoring people back into society and declaring that you have the right to equal treatment, um, the right to be treated as, e you know, equal citizens and, and, and so on. And so we see that, that a core tenet of the gospel is this kind of restorative justice. It's... Um, it's, it's the work of shalom. It's restoring relationships between humans and God. It's restoring interpersonal relationships between, between humans. And it's restoring uh, relationships between humans and our environment, which includes nature on the one hand, but systems uh, as, as well. Mm. Uh, and so we have to be thinking in those terms, caring for people holistically, mm. uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, uh, and, and if, if, if we can, if we can see, have that lens of justice, mm -hmm. uh, and that pursuing justice then is an extension of our, of our call to love God and love our neighbors. then this is very different from, from, you know, sort of the secular agenda of conspiracy theories and, and, and Marxist, you know, whatnot. This is just, 
Um, we are following the model of Jesus uh, in, the, in the work of re restoration. Mm, that's so good. Well, the book is great. It's Becoming All Things. You can find it, obviously, on Amazon, wherever you get books. But if people want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you? Are you on social media, uh, website? Tell our people where. Yeah, definitely. So I'm on social media, Michelle or Michelle Reyes uh, for Instagram and, and Facebook, uh, Dr. Michelle Reyes on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, michellemireyes.com. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter. I have uh, I have an email dropping soon that has a whole curated list of prayers, uh, mm. how to pray for people of other cultures, how to pray for friendships with people of other cultures. Um, and I have a whole bunch of fun freebies on my website as well, including uh, dinner table conversation cards that you could print out and have with your family or maybe, you know, if you have friends over for dinner one night. Yes. Uh, it's a mix of fun questions like, okay, you've just smelled a, a food from someone else's culture that like kind of rubs you the wrong way. What do you do? <laughs> uh, yes. to, to kind of more serious questions about have you ever been stereotyped before? Have you ever, um, you know, experienced what, you know, what's what's a painful encounter that you've had with someone of another uh, culture? So they're conversation cards to facilitate thoughtful conversations on cross-cultural friendships. So you can check all of that out at michellemireyes.com. That's great. Well, this has been educational and enlightening, helpful, and a first because of 18th century German <laughs> literature. So <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation and look forward to uh, having more in the future and learning more about Becoming All Things. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Rusty. Well, as always, thanks for listening. I'm going to invite you to share this with a friend. That would be a huge thing for us. The holidays are coming. We're going to be around a lot of people that think differently, look differently, act differently than us. And maybe some of the conversation starters we learned today will help you and them. Love to hear from you. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. And a reminder, go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child today. Next week, we kick off the month of December by getting into issues of mental health as we have been doing every single month of this year. And in our last installment, we're going to talk with a therapist named Michelle Benedict, and she's going to help us deal with mental health in the holidays. Boy, it's going to be crazy, and she's going to help us keep from going crazy. So as always, uh, keep leading simple. We'll talk to you next week. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Let's just